Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden Acrylics, Mediums, and Materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10 foot by 40 foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Karen Siepker lives and works in Nashville, Tennessee. She has an MFA in painting from Hunter College in New York City and a BA in studio art and art history from Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. She's exhibited her work nationally and internationally in New York, Miami, Pittsburgh, London, and Shanghai. She's a member of the Curatorial Collective Co-op in Nashville, Tennessee, and has curated and co-curated several exhibitions in Nashville, Pittsburgh, and Brooklyn. She's represented by Zeitgeist Gallery in Nashville. I talked to Karen about Stained Glass, Broadway, Pittsburgh, The Figure, Mutations, Musicals, and much more. Here's our conversation. You have a home studio, right? Or close to your house. So I've read. A full out home studio. We put an addition on our home. We we have a really quite a large backyard. So we thought about an outbuilding. Um, in the backyard, but um, I still have kids that are six and nine, and they're just little enough that, you know, I get up in the mornings early or stay up at late at night. And sometimes because of my husband's work schedule, it's just, we, we're not quite there that I could be in the backyard, like, you know, right. out, of, out of the house. In a different actual architectural right. building. And, yeah. Yeah, it just got trickier and trickier to figure because I I had I'd had a studio out of the house for a number of years, um, and it was hit by the 2020 tornado that hit Nashville. Crazy. And that when that happened, you know, I mean, Nashville is one of the many cities that's just really growing in popularity. So like rent prices are really high, and it's also tricky to get out of the house and figure out child care. So it just made the most sense to do this. Well, not that I know for sure, but keep your architectural plans because when they're teenagers, you're going to want that, that like five second commute between buildings. <laughs> oh yeah. I know. 
I, I, we already have a plan <laughs> in place. Can you imagine? Well, so they're three years apart. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's like a good fighting range. I mean, I had a brother <laughs> who was four years older, so, you know, but I yeah. have an only son, so I don't deal with the, the that phenomenon. Yeah. You know, it's like you get the best and the worst, I think, because there are plenty of times where they just are actually entertaining one another and they're getting in there, you know, they really are like each other's allies and they're so sweet, but then you have to take on the other side of it that they also fight. <laughs> it all, it evens revolution. out, right? It, it's it, it just evens like, out. you know, one or the other, you know what I mean? It's it, yeah. I feel like it all kind of like balances out. Yeah. Except I had a friend growing up who had, I think seven siblings or maybe eight. Uh-huh. And I think maybe after four, it doesn't balance out anymore. <laughs> I'm just, one of four. And that was a, it was a full house with a lot of fighting. So in imagine Pittsburgh. nine. I grew up in Pittsburgh like you. Uh Oh, okay. I was going to get to that. <laughs> uh, so like I was going to say on the, the question is how Pittsburgh are you? Like, were you <laughs> born there? And then you, a lot of people I talked to over the years of doing this, you know, their bio says, born and raised somewhere but then you know i was there for like you know 10 days and then i grew up somewhere else or something were you like born and raised i was born and raised in pittsburgh yep and i was there until college whoa and, um, that's the whole yeah, thing the whole gamut is in a pgh so what part of pittsburgh did you grow up in i grew up in the north hills of pittsburgh I don't know north hills yeah, so, there's a mall there, isn't there? Oh yeah, Ross Park Mall. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how to get there, what it looks like, but I remember it. Oh, it was like the place to go whenever you were a teenager to like, mom, will you drop me off at the mall? You know, walk around, yeah, go I mean, to Spencer's and <laughs> Spencer's gifts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have that now, right? Isn't it like Zoomies or like some other? There's some other iteration. There's always the mall store that like there's going to be a curse word on a piece of fabric and there's going to be drug references. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's like some lava lamps. Yeah. There you go. So North Hills, how far are you from downtown? I mean, when there's not traffic, I think it's like a seven minute drive. It's like really one of the, you know, one of the first exits. Um, well, you know, it's not far at all from downtown. Right. Or downtown, as we say. Dad. I don't. Did you have it? Did you have the Pittsburghies, or were you too cult? Were you cultured? <laughs> <laughs> were your parents like lifers? Were they yinzers? Yeah, they. I mean, my parents for sure. Uh, and I grew up with a single mom, but um, yeah, yinzers for sure. I mean, my husband's also from Pittsburgh, and nice. We are always laughing so hard at both my mom and his parents accents they're so like we didn't realize how bad they were until we escaped but and we named our second child iris and i don't know if you know like the pittsburgh like version Donny of I- iris Donny iris yeah. oh my god we're like oh we really are gonna have to give them like a pronunciation guide for this <laughs> <laughs> well at least you didn't name them like you know wash well i <laughs> <laughs> you'd have a whole different name on your hands if that was the case i didn't i tell people that it wasn't until i think like maybe late high school that i 
came to terms with the fact that there's not two words for like washing your clothes. <laughs> I thought there was wash and wash. I just, you know, I thought there were multiple ways to say, or there were multiple words to describe that. But it turns out it's just a, oh my gosh. a blatant mispronunciation. And it's a hard R. Like there's not, my husband actually is, uh, he's really excited about this new tattoo idea. We're not religious people, but he really wants to get a tattoo that says washed in the blood. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut. There's only some. There's only a few people who are gonna real like most people. I think stay in Pittsburgh. So the, you know what I mean. You're not, the, yeah. It's it's a very select. When when I go into because I, I learned how to lose that accent in college. But yeah, if I go into because it, it was like deep, not with me, but my family. You know, like, and that was said after pretty much every sentence. So when I do it for people, they're like, "What the? What is that?" I know. They just confused by it. I know that Pittsburgh dad YouTube. I watched that a while, like after college, and really got a kick out of it. That's pretty good. Um, so North Hills. I grew up on the South Hills, technically, I guess. Okay. In Carnegie, we don't oh, say Car. We don't yes. say Carnegie. We say Carnegie. Carnegie. My yes. husband grew up on the West End, like Carnegie Carlinton. Uh, Carlinton High School. That's where yeah. I went to high school. Yeah, which oh, is a portmanteau of. Carnegie, Crafton, and Roslyn Farms. Right. Three huh? tiny, very <laughs> blue collar. You yeah. know. Well, I guess Roslyn Farms was a little nicer, but yeah, it was, you know, it was something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that definitely, that, that kind of blue collar mentality is definitely something that comes with the territory. And honestly, I think it really is like marked. I, and my husband is also from Pittsburgh, but he's a musician. And I feel like, one thing we have in common is that there is this uh, kind of just like groundedness of coming from that type of background, but then also this romanticism that comes with them crazily deciding to become an artist. Yeah. I feel like people that I meet like after, you know, I left Pittsburgh who are from Pittsburgh, generally a lot of them are down to earth people. They're pretty straightforward I don't know what that is, but maybe it's a misperception, but they usually seem pretty, you know, easy to get along with and straightforward. I have not met that many people from Pittsburgh that have left Pittsburgh and then I have met them. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's weird. This feels weird when I'm like talking this. Yeah, it's a very rare occurrence, I feel like. Uh-huh. But uh, well, congratulations for getting out of there. I mean, it's a great place. I'm kidding. It's a great place. Yeah. No, I mean, we may, end up, we may end up living back there one day, you know, Tennessee. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hang out with family and that. Well, it's cheap in that. I mean, especially like, you know, you go down to the strip, just like down the, that area, like East Liberty and stuff like they've, it's totally different now. I actually, so I spent one year as an adult in Pittsburgh. It was right after I finished Hunter. Um, for my MFA. And I moved back to Pittsburgh for one year. And so I did have, because I have a couple, you know, close friends that still are navigating life there in a really cool way. I mean, just like doing really interesting things. Yeah. And um, I had one year where I lived on the East End of Pittsburgh. And there's definitely some, some interesting things happening. I think that uh, from what I hear, when you move back, if we ever would move back, you got to figure out how to live in the city. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's culture there. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, the Carnegie and the Warhol and the, 
mattress factory. You have good music. You have good food. I think like Zagat gave it like best food city like a few years, but like you know not too too long ago. I mean, it's cheap too, and a lot of times places like provincial towns that are cheap where there's some culture, people go and live there. You know, Absolutely. good schools. You got all the tech boom stuff with the CMU. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've got a good art school there. So yeah, right. Everyone go there. You can get sandwiches that they put the fries right <laughs> on the sandwich. <laughs> it's and really, coleslaw. really good and bad for you. Um, well, Nashville, you know, I didn't go to Nashville at all until I had a show at the Frist. And that was my first time I ever went there. It, it is a great city. Like this, the music scene is amazing. And, um, and it feels like a little Pittsburghish in its, it doesn't feel too big, you know, and it feels like there's a, a pretty good vibe about it in a way. Nashville is definitely a small town. I mean, we've been here now. It's been nearly 10 years, which I, it's hard for, so now I've eclipsed the amount of time I lived in New York, which I, where I lived prior to this, we moved yeah. from Brooklyn and um, that's wild to me that <laughs> we've lived here so long. I think so much of that also was sucked up in, having children and having a family that it goes in a blink of an eye. But, oh, yeah. Time um, you know, I had no idea what I was getting into. I was terrified leaving Brooklyn to move here. I was so terrified. And um, I, I have been so pleasantly surprised by the community that we have found here. I mean, we have just, um, it was, it happened pretty quickly that, you know, there were, artists that I made friends with and musicians that my husband made friends with that now kind of feel like family. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a nice little blue dot in this red state. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. Yeah. Tennessee. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, if you're, and you, obviously music is in your family, yeah. but um, it's such a great place for music. I mean, you can go honky tonking and it's, you know, yeah. it's all kind of right there. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, from what I understand too, I mean, I didn't, I was only there for a little while, but in talking to a lot of people when I was there, you know, there's the music scene of, you know, like there's the shows and the honky tonk and all that. Right. And then there's this underground scene where people like go and play together. Like yeah. there's like an indie scene there too. It's, it sounds, you know, like there's a lot going on. Yeah. It, I, I hadn't, I hadn't known that prior to coming. I think people associate Nashville with country music. And then, um, and honestly, you know, we, we, when we moved here, that's what my husband was kind of interested in some of the like American roots, American scene. Um, so it came here, he made an album like that and then kind of exercised that from his system. And in the meantime, started making a lot of like, you know, a lot of times there are like people that play in like three or four different bands and different manifestations of different ideas. And you can usually figure out how to put a set together at this small place or that. And then, you know, he made a completely different album next, like much more experimental basically just because of what he was, you know, what we, what he was able to experiment with in that time. And th that is one of the nice things here. There's a lot of different people doing a lot of different interesting things pulling together sh shows and you know it's not the same thing as in new york where it's really kind of can be tricky to get rehearsal space and things like that yeah and that type of energy is really cool like i and it and there's a lot of overlap with the art world as well like i just had um there's this really awesome musician down here named eve Merritt, and uh she just played 
at like one of the, we have, we have these art crawls in Nashville that, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're actually pretty fun, these uh, social events. And Eve played during the art crawl, this set that was just phenomenal. Like it was, so, she does a lot of uh, ambient music and then also we'll do some pop stuff as well. But I love the crossover between those two things feels really special to this town. Yeah. It's nice when art and music collide like that, you know, yeah. when there's that dialogue going on. Um, well, so growing up in Pittsburgh, I mean, were you always, you know, into art or creative, being creative? And what was, was your mother, like, what did she do? Was there creativity in the house or? Um, I wouldn't say there was a ton of creativity in the house. I would say like out of the four kids, I was probably maybe the most introspective. And I always did have a way. Um, I always drew. I think mm-hmm. I was like, I always had a skill for art, a skill for drawing. But um, when I think back as a kid, I think how I really identified in terms of my identity was less like as an artist. It was more of like someone who was like a kid who love to climb trees and like uh gain different perspectives and I was really imagine I did a lot of like dramatic play you know um and and when I got into school like into high school and things like that after a brief stint in cheerleading which I think was just like mandatory social activity (laughs) football is life you know (laughs) it really is Um, they're into it but I think I pretty quickly recognized that it wasn't exactly um my scene and then i found these theater kids in high school and they were so much weirder and uh it was just i was it was a more welcome crowd so i did that for a while and that was really fun i mean i always like sang i was always in chorus and i was always really into music that way and then um yeah, I ended up like going to college on a theater scholarship, actually. Oh, and, wow. Um, <laughs> so you were in plays in high school? Like you were really yeah, into uh-huh. it. What high school oh, did yeah. you go to? North Hills High School. Oh, it's called North Hills. I think we yeah. played them in soccer. Um, were you red? Red and white? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. See, it's there. Some There's some something left in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah, all we- gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is. Sleepless oh, nights when I... The kid is like an infant. It kind of like wipes away a lot of that memory. (laughs) And then like you find the nugget and you're like, whoa. Yep. Then COVID comes and you lose more of that memory. And it's like (laughs) all the time gets blurry. Um, So, so theater was big. So you go to college for that and you went to school in Allentown, I think. I did. Uh, Yeah. I went to school. (laughs) I went to a college called Muhlenberg college uh, in Allentown, PA. Um, and God, how was that move? Allentown is something. <laughs> I mean, it was just this tiny little university yeah. bubble. I mean, it was the smallest little campus. Um, they called themselves the Caring College. And it really That's was nice. like very, I mean, I ended up befriending my professors, you know, and um, I. it was great. I mean, it was great. And then also by the end of it, I was so ready to leave and I moved to New York like immediately. Um, But it was, it was, it was great. I think I did realize like pretty quickly once I arrived there that once I've met the real theater kids, like 
because it was it's actually quite a good school for theater. And so a lot of people come from New Jersey and New York. And then when I met what real theater kids were like, I was like, oh, wait, this <laughs> is different. This is different, different level. I can't <laughs> um, and then I found and that's where I found. And I feel like it really kind of took me it. T- it took me a long time to realize that like some of the ways that I like to think about the world could be applied to art. It mm-hmm. wasn't just a skill. Um, and that was something like, cause I remember when I was still in Pittsburgh, there was the, the, my high school offered this really great program where it was like through the gifted program, but they gave um, this great opportunity to me and a, another classmate of mine to go, you know, go to all these different um businesses and institutions around the city. And we went to like a big studio building and saw artists living. And it was just really eye-opening. And they took us to the Carnegie International. Oh, nice. Um, That's always a cool show. And like, yeah, we not weird in a bad way. Like, you know, it's all this work you've never, people from all over and it's really great. Like opens your eyes up to things, I think. Yeah, I, I, I remember like I had this moment where I was going through the exhibition, like for this tour and there um, I walked right past Anne Hamilton's weeping wall, Mm -hmm. which was just like this huge wall that was just this subtle drip that um, it was, it was so disarming. I, it almost was this like presence that I felt first and then saw it. And it's the way I felt so mind blown in that moment. um, I can just remember like being like, what is this? This is so wild. And then eventually it took going to college and then meeting the professors there. And that was the moment where I felt like that was the first time I met an adult who had a life that I thought, maybe I want, maybe that's what I want. Maybe that way of thinking, like your, your mind's working in a really interesting way. Maybe I want that. Well, Muhlenberg is where you went. Yeah. To find that's it's so <laughs> I, I've honestly never even heard of that school. Yeah, it's I mean, I know Allentown vaguely, you know, from just being in Pennsylvania a lot of my life. But and how? So did you find that school? Did someone at your high school say, "Look into this college"? You know, or did you know someone? It was it, so I had I, I had originally gotten into Bucknell and uh, I really wanted to go early decision. I don't know why, but I just like wanted it to be figured out. So I was looking at all. My mom said you can only apply to Pennsylvania schools, and so I was looking at early decision Pennsylvania schools, and um, and I got into Bucknell, but they couldn't offer me the financial package that I needed. That and, place is not cheap. Yeah, so Bucknell's it, a, it's a good school, but it's yeah, yeah it's pricey. Yeah. So this was just, I had somehow had a catalog and we knew that it was early decision and um, we said, let's just try it. And I got in and we did the tour and we liked it and we went for it. Um, So. I feel like it's so different these days, how people, what they know about where they're going to school and all that stuff with the, you know, the internet. Well, and I remember I was like, when I first when my mom said, well, you could apply here. And I was like, I'm not going to a school called Muhlenberg. <laughs> I just didn't <laughs> like the name aesthetically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, but yeah. that's great. So so when you were there, you were started taking art classes and that's when it got a little more... Or, yeah. Or was, yeah, that's mm-hmm. when it got a little more serious. Did you have yeah. good professors and it was a good environment? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was just... Uh, 
like I said, it, it, it was, you could be a big fish in a small pond there. And I think it became pretty evident, like that I was pretty geeky about it in a way that, you know, I think I was recognizable as a student with a lot of aspiration. And, um, so I was able to do like some different like summer studies, you get summer research grants that you could do. And, um, I was kind of splitting. I wasn't sure if I was going to do art history or studio art. And then I was also, um, doing a course in, I, I think it was then called women's studies. I'm sure I'm ho- I hope it's called gender studies now. Right. Um, and I wasn't sure quite where I would land, but as it shook out, eventually I ended up actually, I think, um, having enough credits that it would be a, the minor in the women's studies and then the double major in art history and studio, but it was with a photography concentration. It took me a while to get to painting. Right. So you were doing, but, but you, it sounds like you had an experience trying out different ways of working. You know, you had opportunities to work in different medium. What was it about painting that, or did it take you early on, or was it just something you were doing with other things? Painting took a long time. I did, um, I did a semester abroad in London and took classes at the Slade. Oh, and, that's um, nice. That was you great get to see a whole other. It's a those semesters abroad. See, you know seems so amazing. I never did one, but it must have been, yeah. it must be so great when you're an undergrad to be able to do that. It was amazing. And just being able to go, like I lived a stone's throw away from the British museum and went, you know, repeatedly there, you know, you just go to so many different museums and also just travel. It's so easy to travel when you're in Europe. And so we spent a lot of time. I went to Italy and, you know, anyway, it was, that was wonderful. Um, and I think that's when I really kind of started painting. The Slade um, offered this painting course and it was much more freeform than yeah. the way that painting was taught at my undergrad institution. And I think that there was something that I responded to there and it almost like gave me a permission slip to a, approach painting in a different way. And so then I, I kind of came in when I came back I started, I was doing printmaking and I started kind of painting on my prints a bit. And so um, it slipped in, like really, I think I, I ended up eventually working in collage for a number of years because it allowed me to bring in drawing and then like the gestural with some, with painting. And it took me a while. It actually took me until I got to Hunter for grad school that i almost dared myself to let go of all these different approaches and see if I could just do it on the canvas with one medium. Yeah. So, well, obviously by the time you, you know, graduated, was grad school something that was sort of advertised as like, oh, you can go, you know, spend more time and go to a different school, maybe in the city. And I mean, how did it, or did you take time? I don't even know if you took time in between or if you went directly or. I I did. I think I took about, um, let's see, I graduated. I think I took about three years. So oh, wow. That's, that's enough time to, you know, how yeah. they say, go out and live life before you go to grad school. And then yeah. people go out and they're like, yeah, real life sucks. I'm going to go back and make work all the time for a couple of years. Yeah. And I, so, and I, at that point, you know, we didn't have studios in undergrad. So I didn't really even understand really what a studio practice exactly was. Um, 
I didn't have a space that was mine ever. So when I moved to the city after undergrad, I still was unsure, you know, how I wanted to work with art. And so I did a lot of different things. I worked um, temporarily at an art gallery. I interned a lot. I interned at Giudani Paper Mill. I interned at Art 21. Um, and I stayed there for two, you know, two things because I loved it so much. And, and all the while I was like experimenting, doing these different things, I was painting in my kitchen. And um, I just got to the point where I was like, I just really want to learn more about this. I really want to keep painting. And I was doing all of these like figure drawing, weekly figure drawing classes uh, while I was before Hunter in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I like was able to work with some someone at Art 21 kind of looked at my slides. I think we still did apply with slides maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, and then was able to kind of help me put together an application for Hunter about like 3 years after that. Yeah, I don't I don't maybe it was bad research. I don't know exactly when you were born, but the fact that you mentioned slides puts you <laughs> in a pantheon. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Kind of okay, we're we're somewhere near. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And I don't know if, I mean, yeah, we're, we're near one another for sure. Okay. Slides. Of, remember that? I know carousels of them. And um, yeah, I remember my mom just like wanting to hold on to them forever. And I was like, mom, they're obsolete. It is them. insane to think. I mean, a lot of grad schools would tell you like 12 to 15, maybe, yeah. or maybe 20, 12 to 15 images. Usually if I'm not mistaken memory wise it was like 10 paintings and maybe like five works on paper or something like that Mm -hmm. and it's crazy to think that 15 images took this amount of space plastic (laughs) film you know cardboard and now it's like literally you know 20 kilobytes Uh, you can press it down to it's so weird i know but it used to be this whole process you know? know the physicality of it yeah well, we've moved on from that. So, so you got into graduate school and were you excited to be able to spend that time to do that? Oh yeah. Hunter and that's your first studio great. studio? That was my first studio. Mm-hmm. And the irony we, of being your first dedicated studio space being in New York City, yeah. you're usually <laughs> oh in undergrad, gosh. you get like a big old space or, you know, you have space. And then when you get to the city, sometimes it's tough. Even grad schools have like, closets with like no real door and you know i've done like visits to art schools where i'm like man it's like a sardine can in here you know hunter i don't know if you know that built the old building that hunter had over on the west uptown Uptown, yeah in um hell's kitchen i never been to that one but i did speak and visit the one downtown in tribeca which was beautiful it was really nice yeah i haven't seen that one we were in hell's kitchen and you know like, now the name says get it off all. the subway at Port Authority, <laughs> walk over to Hell's Kitchen. Um, but I have to say, I mean, that building, I'm sure, was shut down by the fire department several times. Definitely yeah. once when I was there. I mean, it there were fire hazards everywhere, but some of the spaces in that building were amazing, amazing. And, yeah. you know, it was one of those things where like you would, you have to earn the big enough space. Like my first space was pretty small, but then you, you know, 
you could get a, a better space as you stayed on. I think I was there for, I think I, I should have stayed longer, honestly, but I think I was only there two and a half years. Um, I thought you were going to say eight years. Yeah, by year <laughs> seven, you should have seen the space I had. <laughs> but with tuition, the way tuition is, if you use that money for that. a studio, you could have you could be a baller and have like an oh, amazing yeah. studio per year. I mean, the smartest of the Hunter alums did that because tuition was so much cheaper than. Studio. Oh yeah, those did. yeah, like uh, what do you, um, Cooper Union people? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, no tuition. I don't know if it's still like that, but. That's that's when yeah. you're really gaming the system. When you get a studio in New York City and you're not really paying much for school, I think that's right. changed these days. Because yeah, it's more expensive. Yeah, it, and and the wild thing about Hunter is that, you know, it was my very first studio, and they have these. They would have these really big open studios that we didn't really know when we first got there. But you know, that all these people come through and dealers and collectors. Yeah trying to sniff out who's new and what's going on. And um, I was really lucky because at the same time that I did grad school, I was also an artist assistant Mm -hmm. um, for the artist, Oliver Herring. And um, I know Oliver, you were on Broadway and Dean street. Wait, where, where on Dean. Oh, so this is after, because he used to have a studio on Broadway in Williamsburg. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they've moved now. Right. But um, so, but they still are fr- were friends at the time with like some of the Williamsburg artists and his, his husband, Peter Crashes. Uh, I got to kind of, they basically, they were the adjunct education to yeah. my Hunter experience. And it was invaluable to have the exposure to their insights and their lifestyle while I was in school. Because I think, you know, at Hunter, I felt like there were a lot of people who were trying to compete to be like, who, who might be the next art star. And that even was gone by the time we were there. That was that, that, that era had kind of passed, but there was this sense of like sizzling in the pan right now, what's going on. And um, it was just very grounding to have, Oliver and Peter and their peers um, give that perspective that like, this is a long haul and things change and careers go up and down. So, you know, you have to pay really, really close and good attention to the depth of your experience as an artist and a little less experience to that superficial, like what's happening in the moment or what's selling at this, you know, so that was very, very helpful for me. Yeah, that's that's invaluable because schools usually try not to get into the weeds about career stuff and all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or at least a lot of them, they try to be altruistic and just say, "I'm just, we're just teaching the art. We're talking about the work. We're not going to get into all that business." Yeah. So sometimes you get out there and you don't really you. Right. Well, back in the day, you used to get out of school pre-internet or whatever, and you just didn't know anything. You were like, "Okay, what do I do?" And then people say, "Oh, you try to." Drop your slides off the gallery. Or whatever, I know. You know. Or DM someone, I'm sure, is what it is. To, but there wasn't a presumption that you were going to just start showing or something. It was kind of like you had to, you know, put the grind in or whatever. And now it's probably the flip of that where it's like within six months, you have to go out, get out there and start showing and be the hottest thing or something. Or maybe the ship has sailed or there's like all that pressure from online stuff. Right. 
yeah, it's not easy to navigate, you know? I know. I think, I feel like it, it really could have serviced so many of us so well to have a little bit, like to have a course on navigating the market, you know, because I think that what happens is that after everything shakes out and things start happening, you just start grabbing at straws, talking to other artists who are showing, you know, and you're just, well, what, how do you price your work? Or what do you do when someone asks you this? And, you know, that, that always changes. And um, it would be nice to have that integrated into yeah. grad school. Experience. Well, you, you got the best case scenarios because you got the, you know, the education in the school mm-hmm. and stuff. And then you got that sort of intimate relationship of working with artists who are just working. Like I have a seminar class that I teach and, you know, I often zoom in artists and talk about younger, older. And, you know, when you hear people's stories, you get a little bit of insight or whatever. But when you're actually there seeing the day-to-day stuff, you know, that's real eye-opening. I, th- I can imagine, I don't, I never have assistance, so I don't know, yeah. I don't, that doesn't happen, but I, for the people who I think go work with artists, they, they see the nitty gritty, you know, and all that stuff. Oh yeah. And you get to see like where the real true pleasure is at sometimes is like in the studio and in the making. And that's where like the magic happens. And that like, they used to take me, you know, we would go, we would really be heads down working uh, in the studio, but then we would like take an official lunch break and we would go. And I remember like whenever on the day's, Um, we could all go to lunch together and they would pull out the times, like the actual paper. And we would like read the art reviews out loud. And then they would like talk about it. And it was so, um, I mean, this is just really what, and they're still this way. They're the sweetest couple, but they, that's really kind of what makes their world go around is like thinking about these different ideas and these, um, different things. And, one of their good friends was Joyce Pensado, yeah. who, you know, you know, she worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and for, for how many decades until I don't know if Joyce was, I don't know if she was in her 70s or 80s when she finally hit it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. know how old she was. Her studio was on Metropolitan, I think, or Grand. I think it was Metropolitan. But yeah, she was a workhorse. And that, and that, that was kind of nice to know, like maybe like, you know, just to be able to have those options in your mind, like, is that something you'd be willing to do? Or would you be willing to make this sacrifice or would you be willing to make that sacrifice? But just to have those, just to see those lifestyles laid out and kind of assess what feels right to you is nice to have because you know, when you just see examples of this is this artist that made it in this way and this, you know, that's not often the case. Often the case, the story itself is much more convoluted and complicated. Totally. And I think, I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard to see the forest from the trees, but as I get older and I've been doing, you know, been making work for decades now, you know, it feels like there's less people who are staying in the realm of making art longer. Like, you know what I mean? It feels like people come and go quicker, but maybe that's just, I don't know, technology or the way you see things. I don't know. Uh, or maybe that's yeah. just getting old. <laughs> I, that that would be, that's something, <laughs> maybe it's one of those COVID things that you've just lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that I'm really curious to, you know, 
I might see that that's probably a result of the way we engage with art nowadays, which yeah. is so mixed up with social media, which has its own span of, you know, it, you know, which I think the attention economy that has been created through that medium, I think, um, is definitely noteworthy. But um, one of the things that I've noticed now that I'm like a middle-aged artist is I look around and I'm like, oh, there's a lot less of just like people just experimenting or doing things at this age. And sometimes as you get older, you realize like, <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. You just realize there's people who have maybe a trust fund or they have money or they, you know, like there's not that many people who are still willing to, to really sacrifice if yeah. they don't have a backup plan. Oh here. yeah. It's, it's hard to, you know, just stay on the grind for, mm -hmm. for decades, year after year after year. If you're not, if you don't get into a situation to where it's sustainable in a way that, because some people do want to have a family, they do want to right. have other aspects of their life and not just sit in a cave, you know, and eat right. you know, top ramen and make art all day, which is great. I mean, I went through that stage, but I don't know if that's sustainable forever. You know, right. <laughs> at a certain point you, you, you know, you want to evolve a little bit maybe and, you know, I don't know, change a little those aspects of your life. So it's, it is really difficult. It's not. And the other thing is, is back in the day, people could rent a loft in Soho or buy it for $25,000 or rent it, mm -hmm. you know, and it was affordable. Now it's just not affordable. You know, you can't, nowhere's really that affordable anymore. It's almost yeah. like it's, it's not as easy or not that it was easy then, but I think, you know, having that lifestyle, just like grinding through it and staying in the game, maybe was a little easier compared to rents and cost of living and how things are set up these days. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. that stuff is not interesting. Let's talk about your work. So when you were in graduate school, you were making what? Like, what was your work looking like at that point? So my process um, in my time at Hunter, when I think about like how the work evolved, when I, when I first entered grad school, I had some painterly like surfaces that incorporated some gestural brushwork, but I was collaging on these rep representationally drawn elements. And some of those were, you know, figure, mostly those were figurative elements. Mm -hmm. um, and, and who I were you had, looking at too? Were, were there certain people who were like inspiring you to use those materials or were there, you know, like. Not, not necessarily at the time, I, but I, I think that um, what I will say is. I, I think that part of the problem was just, I wasn't quite sure how to paint these figures in. Like I just always had a, I, I had a, I had difficulty integrating the figure into these painterly worlds, and um, I needed to have more bodily experience in order in, in, before I was able to kind of abstract the figure. At the time, I, mm -hmm. I, I remember really wrestling with the idea. I know at the time there was like a lot of talk about like de-skilling, you know, like that was seeing painters around that were like Dana Schutz that was de-skilling and taking the figure apart, and that was something that like. I think maybe this is a lot that uh, the experience of a lot of people that 
have a pretty classical education and have to unpack it and they're not willing to let go of certain skill sets. But that was something that was a challenge for me. And I think what happened eventually is like, I almost dropped the figure entirely for a bit. And um, at the same time, I will say, so during my time in grad school, I was making work for a bit that was about consciousness and about the complexity of consciousness. And I was reading, you know, books by different like neurologists trying to locate this. Antonio Damasio was interested in like Oliver Sacks, but then halfway through my grad school experience, um, there was a death in my family and it came as a surprise and it kind of stopped me in my tracks and it made me really question everything. Like, why am I even painting? What is, what's the point of all of this? And when eventually I was able to start painting again, the painting all became about the passage of time. That's just what I started, like the, this su subject kind of entered into my life. And so this, the figure, it kind of just dropped away. And I started actually just thinking of the brush mark as uh, an element to think about time. Um, and that's kind of, and then eventually as I started to think about that, the figure re-entered and there was a little more slippery element to, to the way that the figure could be rendered. I think because I was incorporating so much movement at the time that I had loosened myself up a little bit. So I, I finished Hunter with some figures back in the work, but in this world where they were contending with the passage of time. Yeah. Did you have certain um, mentors or professors there that you just clicked with or that really inspired you or was it, or were they, eh, they were all okay, I guess. <laughs> no one stood I, I mean, out. <laughs> I think the funny thing is like, I think the paint, the, the faculty member that I think meant the most to me and really had the most lasting impact wasn't a painter, um, Paul Ramirez Jonas. I got oh, so yeah. lucky to have Paul um, as a professor. And then, uh, yeah. And then I ended up actually, when we moved many years later, ended up like living in Paul's basement uh, for a while. So got to know him pretty well. And he was another person who, um, just the way he thought about work and thought around work, thought right. around all of the the different uh, ways that you can interact with art um, really changed everything for me. And he's also just like a fabulous human. <laughs> he's just like yeah. a really wonderful, kind human. And I think that that was another element that I thought, huh, I don't always, you don't always come across people in art and and you come back thinking well weren't they so nice <laughs> right <laughs> um so paul and i sometimes would laugh about that like what do you do whenever you you know you're just a kind person i think it took me a while i think you know there's a lot of posturing that can happen and um and especially whenever your people are first starting in art yeah, i yeah. think that i think that finds its way out i don't think you know that that's not sustainable either Right. Yeah. And I think that ultimately, like, you know, great relationships are, are what lasts and people drop a lot of that once they, as they get older. Yeah. I think the BS kind of like empties out. There's not enough time, space or energy for the 
Yeah. That kind of drama for the most part. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's people who hold tight to that, but I think most people, as you get older, you're just like, Hey man, we're just still able to make this stuff and this is great. And let's just all kind of yes. like be on the same team here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. That rings true for me. Yeah. Um. Well, and it sounds like not to jump on a tangent, but it sounds like Nashville has a good kind of like community artist community i'm sure it's a little more supportive well not more but you know supportive a lot of times in towns like you know that aren't you know either new york or los angeles or whatever you know there's more of a feeling of a communal scene and people support each other because you know the infrastructure is not quite as big as some other giant cities so you gotta you know bond together to like art crawls and you know and yeah group shows and like you know those galleries and stuff can really help foster an environment where people get energized yeah absolutely i mean if one thing you realize in nashville it's like everybody knows everybody <laughs> like it's a such a small, small town. town yeah um, and there's accountability there there's like social accountability you know you're like yeah. oh well your kids might be on the same soccer team or you know i, I mean just like it's it's nice it's nice to have some of that um accountability you know right yeah, no, that's that is so true because in New York, it's like you know, people just like treat other people they're like whatever. I'm never going to see that person again. Or there's just so many people from so many places that they're just they don't have the energy to like it, it feels like they don't have the energy to like respect everyone's boundaries or what. There's just like, you know what? I'm just doing my thing. Who cares? You know, and it's that can be kind of toxic. But you, so when you graduated, but you stayed in, like you said, in Brooklyn for a while, right? Yeah. I mean, I lived in Brooklyn in like maybe only seven years total, I'd say. That's um, a, that's, that's amount of time. That's not yeah. nothing, you know, yeah. that's enough to let it wear on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As Brooklyn I, mean, can. I really miss so much of it. Um, in so many ways, we actually, my family just went back this past fall because my youngest hadn't been to the city yet and um you know we took them to a broadway show and we you know we just did a bunch of things that we stayed in one of our, in our old apartment and that was oh, really that's fun cool. did the people and, mind that who didn't know who you were they're like why are these people here no, <laughs> we kidding. had the place for ourselves just, actually <laughs> yeah. i'm just kidding no, we like, like hey we used to be here we're just gonna stay for yeah. a few days yeah. <laughs> that, that's where our couch was <laughs> That's great. So you were able to stay in your old spot. That must have been cool. Yeah. The last apartment. I mean, I had several different apartments and you know, but um we so we went to the last, the last place with our kids. Um, and it was great. It was so it, it was great. And you know, I do have friends that they have made lives in the city with their kids and they're just they're really beautiful. And there's so much to love about living in New York. Um but Yeah, well, when you go away think about all the good things i'm not saying is not i mean i love obviously i've been living there for like over 20 years but i mean yeah it wears on you with kids too it's not yeah. easy. yeah yeah but it's great i mean you know the their friends like the the sort of culture and all that stuff i don't know it's 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 great but it can be exhausting yeah, it seems that way. I feel like if you are in the right neighborhood and you have the walkability, like if you could get yourself in a, in a spot where you can walk to a lot of different places, like a yeah. school and a library and a 
bodega that you know can cover then you're probably okay but um yeah and or or if you're filthy rich it makes it yeah, that works. Easier, i think <laughs> like if you just pull your car into your house that or apartment that makes it easier yeah. Oh. yeah, street parking is what one tenth of the frustration of a New York City resident who drives. I'm kidding. Oh yeah. But no, it's it. Yeah, it's, you know, there's it's so funny. Just like we were saying at the beginning, it's like the good and bad. It kind of evens out. You know it what does. I mean? Because for all the stress and like you know the crazy people who are like yelling at you on the corner, whatever. And then there's all the great culture and the great food and like the opportunities. You know, it kind of all evens right. out. Right. Yeah, I mean, I we were laughing when we were there because our kids, we felt we like think of them as like a city mouse and a country mouse because the one was all about it and the other one just was like, get me out of here. They were so <laughs> Wait, the younger one? The younger one was The younger it? one is the city mouse. So yeah, she's right, like, right. you know, Stimulus, she, she's already new... planning on moving yeah. to New York. She's, oh, wow. Yeah, she, she's on it. She's excited about Maybe it. Maybe she's going to carry the theater torch. <laughs> you took it to Broadway, you know? You can't start them too early. They love Lynn Lynn Manuel Miranda, my kiddos. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're big to... uh, Hamilton and In the Heights fans in this house. Oh, we we got to. Um, my son was really this, you know, years ago, but he was really into Hamilton. Like, knew every word of every rap, and uh, because uh, my friend Doug, who I who shows with Miles McHenry, is wife is in Hamilton. We got to go and he went into orchestra pit and like, uh, and we got to meet the cast. And so, I mean, it was like life changing. That was, that show was so good. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Hamilton's epic. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah. It, it, and it lives on, you know, it's like, sometimes you think to yourself like these Broadway shows run for a long time, but then there's people who are going to see that thing for the first time and it's knocking their socks off, you know? So it's, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Did you ever I, I go mean, see Stomp? Remember I never did. No, I never saw Stomp. It was pretty good. I mean, if you like percussion, and it's funny because I went, the reason I brought that up is I went when I first moved to New York once, and um, and then I took my son when he was really little there, and the, the gap was, you know, I don't know, like 16 years or something, and uh, it held up. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, it was still pretty impressive. I did see the Blue Man group. That was pretty. That was oh a, yeah, I saw those guys too. That was pretty cool. And we took our kids to go see uh, Into the Woods. Sondheim. Never saw it. Yeah, was it good? It, Sondheim is good. I mean, a, a lot of Broadway musical is totally nauseating, but uh, like that kind of music. But Sondheim is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that was really great. And they they know the 1980s version that I used to listen to on my VHS tape with Bernadette Peters in it. Right, right. So we like rented it for them on Amazon. And so the the whole performance, they were like, they're great. They're not as good as Bernadette Peters. They're <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good perspective, perspective to have on it, you know, to know that that's, that's great. Um, So, but you moved out, you know, after a yeah. while and um when you when you moved to nashville and then you got you know your studio wall your studio was in your house wait was it always in your house and then you had to redo it because of the tornado was that external that was external that was yeah external. i found an external studio space that i had for a number of years when we first moved here um yeah i shared a studio space in the basement of a skate shop and they were like 
five other artists in that studio in that shared studio space that I had for a while. Um, and that it was, it had no windows. It wasn't the best studio in the world, but it was affordable and I was able to continue to make a lot of work. Um, and I got lucky. I moved down here and there's a gallery called Zeitgeist Gallery that picked me up pretty quickly when I moved down here. And so I've been able to have, uh, I just, I just closed my fourth solo show with them. Mm -hmm. Um, which has been nice, you know, over these past 10 years, I've had these four shows that have been really, when I look back, I'm like, they're really, I can look from the one show to the next and they really show the way my work has shifted over the years. That's a huge yeah. opportunity just to be able to have a space where you, it's a really large gallery space and being able to fill a space like that and really uh, throw yourself into a large body of work and then see it uh, come up and is, has been really nice. Yeah. I love those larger scale paintings where you have the sort of platform and the sculptural element in front of it as well, which is really cool. And how do you get like some of the, they're kind of like landscape stuff with these sort of prismatic fluctuations in the yeah. saturation in the sky and like these form, like where, I mean, where is that coming from? <laughs> um, you know, like the work, one of the nice things about coming to Nashville is I really do feel like if I felt like we removed ourselves like off the radar for a moment, that's what it felt like leaving New York and going to Nashville. It's like, this will be a little more of a slow burn, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was able to really allow the work to evolve. I mean, it feels like it's like a slow evolution. There wasn't a ton of pressure there. And the work is so weird now and uh, it's it's just evolved out of following its own strangeness. That's, there's a poet, Nikki Finney, and she says, follow your strangeness. And I love that. But it, when I, you know, I can see if I kind of look back over this 10 years, I can see like, ah, I started kind of like stretching the hands out here before they got now they're now my now a lot of my hands look really Looney Tunes and like large, but yeah. I could kind of see where I started to exaggerate a form, or I could start to see where I started to collapse my spaces, um, and I can see where I started to play with transparency. But really, this is just like the work is constantly um, digesting itself, and right. like, you know, oh, I get an idea from a previous work, and it's also. And it's also my work really comes out of um, my life, my lived experience, my life experience is really connected to that. So uh, that's another that's that's another kind of type of connective tissue that that brings the work. So like what, what you're saying, like, where do these like prismatic skies come from? When I see those skies there, the one quick reference is they I did take a stained glass class after COVID when I lost my studio and I couldn't paint. I took a class in stained glass at a, at a local spot. And I thought maybe for a minute, like not necessarily in the, just in the, in the I don't know. I don't, I don't at all want to use the word just, I didn't think of using, uh, moving towards stained glass as a craft in and of itself, but I started to really think about the ways you what stained glass did to your vision. Like whenever 
there's something really amazing about when you look through stained glass and you can look through to one landscape, but based on whatever each glass is doing, it can distort what you see. And it, um, like the work still is really about the passage of time and the complex ways we experience time. So the work that you're referring to in the show that kind of has this stained glass reference, there's like, I don't know, eight different skies that are kind of melded together, but they are all look like different times of day um, or different worlds, but they are flattened into one, which kind of speaks to this experience of time. Right. I love the, I, I mean, it kind of in looking at your work, over time because i haven't seen your work in person like over consecutive shows or anything like that so the but it does feel like this organic mutation or that it just keeps building on itself and it's quote-unquote weirdness or yeah, surreal yeah. or the uh, distortion of things you know or the exact it's kind of like mannerism to where it just starts yeah. to turn into but then I love the description of like, well, it's kind of about my life. And then, but if you just say that, and right. then people look at the paintings, they're like, well, what are you doing in your life? <laughs> like, what, what kind of substances are making you appear? I know. Now, because it gets a little trippy and I weird. And, but, but it makes it sense does. that it's this kind of like, uh, it's a, a sort of uh, painting language that is getting tweaked over time. It just gets, you know, I have a, a an old friend, my old, and from, Mount Lebanon, um, Gerald Davis, who's an artist who's based in Los Angeles, who's a great painter. Like he's a great artist, but his stuff was always like that to where he would start drawing things like cranes or like flowers on the side of the road or something. And, and it just would just get weirder and and it would just keep mutating. You know, he had that kind of, a lot of artists do that who are, you know, really good, I think is where they just, the work just starts to, um, it's like not a feedback loop, but you know, it, it just keeps yeah. kind of like tweaking itself to where it becomes its own lexicon of images in this, that's self-referential that I would imagine as the artist, when you show something that you've worked on, that's literally been the culmination of like years and years mm-hmm. of all these prior paintings and you look at it by itself and you're like, well, yeah, how did I get there? Yeah. <laughs> you know it's fascinating. I mean? Well, you know, when I think back to like at Hunter, when I could, I didn't know how to integrate the figure. And I could, I, I think when I look at my work now, there's definitely a previous self of mine that would just like be disgusted or horrified. Like, how dare you do that? But, you know, <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I've thought like, how have I arrived at, how have I given myself the permission to do, to, to treat a figure in this way? And I have thought, like, I think some of that actually did come through my experience of uh, becoming a mother and like Mm -hmm. being pregnant and giving birth and not just that, but like thinking of your body as a vessel, thinking of your body, like sometimes like your body just becomes nothing but movement, like calming movement or nothing but sound and like you disappear. There's something about like, my experience of the elasticity of my physical experience that has really allowed me to, or to, it's given me different sensations that I've wanted to express that I simply couldn't had I only tried to do that representationally. Right. Now do other 
at different points of this like evolving of the work as i mean most people's work evolve you know it's just sometimes it's easier to see the mutations like if you look like picasso and cubism or something you know you can kind of see how he starts to go into like these different modes um some people it's like a broader actually i saw a van gogh show once at the carnegie museum and like when you get to the end of it like every change seems very subtle like you don't even notice it but then when you get the end you're like oh this is way different you know yeah. but but it takes a long time it's slow but when you can see those changes being made along that path are you getting influenced by certain artists and bringing a little bit of like you know um different people like things you're seeing in other people working and trying to inject that in or is it completely hermetic and it's your thing oh i mean i don't really believe you can be entirely hermetic hermetic i think i feel like we are sponges you know to different experiences and um so definitely i mean definitely some of the work that i see influences me i i am not someone who models my work off of another um painter necessarily right. or another artist but um but i think it really enters into my brain and i mean and like and so does you know, in this last show my gardening like really came in like i don't think it's just i don't think our, my influences are left to art alone Right. I think there's so many different thing that, things that slip in, but but I definitely am wide open to looking at, you know, thinking about different artists who really get me excited. And I can see different things slip into work. People even in this last show said something like, ah, I see some, there's something in this weirdness that's also like Agnes Pelton. And I'm like, oh, I was looking at her book. I did buy that book, you know, or, you yeah. know, or they'll say, I see. Oh, like people actually recently have been saying um, Christina Quarles to me, which I've never looked at her work. And, um, and, and I think she's great. I saw her, her show at Hauser and Worth and was blown away by like what she can do on one surface with the juxtaposition from one uh, treatment to another. But I think that sometimes, um, yeah, I think that's probably just a connection where people are like, oh, these are these weird figures and something else. So she's not someone I, I would say that I I looked at. It's only something in retrospect that I'm like, oh, maybe I should pay attention to that. Yeah. Well, and certain people, like you could be influenced by certain people and other artists might be doing, and you can kind of get somewhere close accidentally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I remember I used to be in a band and we, play like we got a review of one of her records and they were like oh this this guitar player obviously listens to this band and i was yeah. like that's weird i've never even heard of them yeah <laughs> then i listened to the band and i was like oh i could totally see it but i've never listened to them that's really weird i you know, know. That, that happens you know we're all kind of doing stuff and sometimes from the collective consciousness you tap into things you know i think so and this, actually this is like the first time i feel like in as a painter that I feel like I do see that I'm a part of like a larger collective that I, that I can see kinship in a more obvious way. Cause I feel like I've always, I've always romanticized the people that have like, like Lee Bontecu and, you know, Agnes Martin and people who like left and did their own thing. I've always. The Lone Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Georgia O'Keefe. Oh, oh, that's my, my little one's middle name is Georgia. I love nice. Georgia O'Keefe. Yeah. Um, but now I do see 
oh, wow, I have so much in common with this artist or with that artist. And that's actually, I think also now as I'm more seasoned, I really welcome that. I really welcome those connections. Whereas before you were really phobic, like, oh gosh, I don't really want to have this. But now it's like, oh, I could talk to that person. We have some, we have something we could connect upon. Well, I think the longer you do what you do, you, you find your own voice in it and then you become more comfortable. You don't really care. Like, like, oh yeah, I guess this kind of is in dialogue with other things, but you're not worried about it because you're so embedded in your own process. It becomes your, like, I think a lot of people in like school or grad school are like really worried, like, oh, I'm not trying to make blah, blah, blah's work or whatever. But you wear your influences on your sleeve a little more because you haven't been doing what you're doing for year after year after year. You know what yeah. I mean? It hasn't become your own thing yet necessarily. So you know, when you, when you've done it for a while, you know, the 10,000 hours or whatever you put it in and then it, it is sort of just as you, whether you yeah. like it or not, it's just going to be kind of your own thing. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that, and I've been like, I feel more so now that, you know, I was, I've always been the type of artist who really likes to like in my studio, have a bunch of big artist books wide open on the floor as I'm painting. And, you know, usually there's, Usually there's like a Matisse something happened on the floor mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about or um, what, who did I have this? Oh, Roger Brown. Do you know Roger oh, Brown? Oh yeah, Chicago. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, he, yeah. Roger Brown. I don't know if a lot of people know. Well, I'm sure some do. Yeah. Roger Brown, a lot of Chicago stuff that people, Yeah. if you don't, if you've not been hip to it, there's a lot of stuff there. He, he has, these paintings that have just stopped me in my tracks. He has some paintings that uh, at the high museum in Atlanta that I saw mm-hmm. that I was just like, okay, hold the phone. What's yeah, happening here? They're pretty amazing. I've never been to Chicago, but I'm, I really have to go. He has a study collection there that, you know, cause he was a collector as well. And he yeah. Has a- yeah. Really interesting guy. Yeah. That, those kind of, when you find artists like that, it's so exciting. Like I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of John Wesley and mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I remember being in undergraduate school, like I think in my senior year and I saw an art in America with John Wesley in the cover and it was like a guy in his underwear chasing a duck. And I was like, what the, f-? like, what is this? You know, it was so weird. But then I like really grew to love that work. But, you know, he was never really like, you know, like a huge pop artist or something. I mean, he was showing, but it was always kind of fringe. Roger Brown was like that too. I think he was just you know, you could overlook that work technically, but it was there and it's really, there's nothing like it. Yeah. And that, those Chicago imagists, I think that, that I see a lot of, I see New York artists now also um, that were, that maybe, and I think there's something about, I'm a child of the eighties and I do think there's something about my generation. I mean, you grew up on some of like the Looney Tunes cartoons and things like yeah, that, yeah. But, like in your DNA and some of that Chicago imagist imagery that um, feels playful. It also feels like dark in a way. Yeah, it's that creepy also too. Feels like it meets our moment right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I hear it. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I went to school. My two of my professors who were amazing went to the Art Institute and they sort of came up in Chicago. So, you know, I got the deep dive of like Chicago images and all that work in school, but mm. I think a lot of people might not ever really tap into it that much. I mean, they might hear of Jim Nutt and see those, pa- like some of those paintings, but um, yeah, there's a lot of work there. 
it's really funky, you know? Yeah. Uh, like the weird uncle, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's a question on a tangent. What do you, when you're working in the studio, is it silence? Is it music? Is it Broadway musical soundtracks? <laughs> no Broadway. Uh, <laughs> um, I listen to Bernadette Peters, nothing but Bernadette. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Can you imagine? Month five oh of gosh. that. <laughs> that sounds like a dare. Yeah, be- yeah. Um, I listen to a ton of music in the studio. I also listen to podcasts in the studio. Um, I cannot do audiobooks in the studio with the exception if I've already read it. Mm-hmm. If I've read the book, and then I'm like, oh, I can, you know, but it's really hard for me to pay attention to like sentence structure, and, you know, um, yeah. but I, I definitely, I'm, I'm someone who really does listen to, I really like a lot of podcasts and I like to dive in a little like deeper into different books that I read. So, you know, if I've read a book, I'll go on a tear and like every interview I can find by that writer. I will listen to like that while yeah. in the studio. That's how I like to listen to them. And um, music totally depends on what I'm painting that day and the way that I'm painting. Uh, if, or if I'm drawing, if I have to generate an image versus if I'm having to kind of figure out color relationships and have to be less inventive with form. Um, sometimes I need something like really more instrumental, like, Mary Lattimore, I really like whenever I just need it to be like tranquil. Um, but then other times I can get going on like some more, I'll, like, I have some mixes that I'll make for myself. I love the idea of you having like Spotify playlists and some are like gessoing, then another one like, <laughs> like mixing pigments and another one's like projecting an image or you yeah. know what I mean? Like blocking in or you know yeah be amazing if, if it got that specific yeah but i do i mean there there are times though where i'll get stuck in like a painting and it hits with what i'm li- like i don't know if this happens to you but i'll have cert because i'm definitely a repeat music listener like mm-hmm. i will just and and not just like the album like to the track i'll just go the track over and over and over and there are some paintings I look back and I'm like, man, that was like, I was listening to Nick Cave when I made that painting. Oh, That's yeah. what that is. Yeah. It's just colored. So it. Totally. And um, yeah, there's this one painting that I made this in this past show with like this, I, I kept, I kept re- listening to this specific SZA song. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, this, it just, this specific tone that this SZA song hit was like, okay, I just need to have be in that vibe to kind of figure out how to resolve this painting. Yeah. I do that too. I'll couple, you know, some people couple wine with their meals and I'll couple yeah. uh, a song or an album with a painting I'm working on. And I'm like, well, looks like I'm going to look at this for two weeks and listen to this for two weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it helps. It gives it the the ambiance that you need to feel, or not you don't need, but it helps you feel that connection to the vibe of what you're working on. I think so too. And I like for me, sometimes when I think about um, my favorite thing to actually, oh, what was that? Do you remember there was that podcast called Meet the Composer? Nadia Sirota was the- I've never heard of it. It's so good. It's classical, but it's like mm-hmm. contemporary classical. It's so great because I feel like I've always identified more with when I hear musical composers talk about 
composition. It's always made a little more, it rang more true to me or made more sense to me that than when I hear someone speak about pictorial composition, right. just like the way I think about layering, there's something just like, I, I just really enjoy listening to someone. I mean, there's also what's that uh, uh, Rishikesh here way. Exploder. Oh, it's my do you friend. know, you have a, can, oh, he's your friend. So yeah, he wrote the introduction to the podcast book. I need to get that book. <laughs> well, Rishi, you do because Rishi wrote the intro and he's great. Oh. But yeah, Song Exploder is amazing. I mean, yeah, those that's good. And podcast. they're so illuminating when you hear they really those, are. That Solange episode is so good about cranes I, in the sky. That's amazing. It you you it gives you such insight, but it doesn't feel like it weighs down the song in a way. It feels you feel like you're it broadens your experience of what that song is, or at least in my opinion. I yeah. think, well, maybe I'm biased. I mean, I've known him for a long time, so he's a it's a great, friend. it's a great podcast. But it, it's beautifully done too. Like the sound, I mean, it's just you know really amazing. Yeah, and then he has that other podcast that he does with um, some oh. um, Samin. Oh know? yeah, yeah. Oh. The, um, Salt uh, home, is it that home cooking? Home cooking. I like that. That was that took me through the through covid a little oh, bit that's, yeah that's great yeah and he did the west wing podcast too which i i didn't never watched west wing so it was lost on me but i never watched it either but yeah i'm not a i i admittedly i'm not a huge tv guy i just don't watch a lot of tv stuff yes you know you can only do so much yeah and it's basically for years there it was like marvel because of my son. I mean, it was just yeah. nothing but like, you know, Star Wars and Marvel stuff, which I'd never really watched a lot of, but I went deep on that stuff. Because... That's fun. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I can't, I love the Mandalorian. That that one, I really, the music in that was amazing. Um, So oh. yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, you, there's so much stuff though, that if you're a visual person and you're making pictures, it's hard to imbibe in a lot of like visual things because as you know, when you're a parent, you got a lot of stuff going on. When you got time to use your eyes, usually you're trying to be in the studio making your own pictures. You know what I mean? So it, absolutely it's tough. You know, I hear about people yeah. binge watching things for like weeks, and I'm like, "Why? Well, that sounds nice, but I just <laughs> got to try mm -hmm. to keep making the artwork for you know future show mm -hmm. or something." So. I know. It's it, you're right. There's so much like it's just so much visual stuff here in it. Yeah, but it, but it's a it's a great thing. I mean, I and like you, I I love listening to podcasts or books or comedy. I like listening to comedy and stuff like that because you know you can work while you're doing that, which is great. Yeah, it, it can give you some energy, which is nice. Right. right. I so, used to have like a few. Oh no, no, go ahead. You used to have. Oh, I was just gonna say. I used to have certain things that I would listen to that like one, I'd say like probably one of my all time favorite musical artists is Joanna Newsom. Oh yeah. yeah. And she sets the bar like so high in terms of orchestration of all of these different intermingling elements. And so that I remember there was a body of work where like I would have that on and I would just be like, okay, can I elevate it any, like, I would just think about that as inspiration of like, okay, well, what other threads can you get? I would just listen to the way she put these different elements together and then how they would 
be lost and then they would be reintroduced again. And that was just so much inspiration for how I could kind of build a body of work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I, I feel similar. Like sometimes I'll listen to things that are very, not minimal, but where there's a lot of motive feel without lyrics or like instrumental stuff that's kind of sparse, but it, it feels like it's building a world. And I'm like, can I make images to do that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's nice if you can lock in with, you know, people who are doing something in a parallel creative world that achieves yeah. something that feels cool, but you're doing it in a different medium. So it gives you this touch point to inspire you to try to reach that feeling you get from their work. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that everyone always can make that connection, right? I would imagine not. I mean, I don't, yeah, I think some sometimes people get more tunnel vision of like, this is what I'm doing. I'm just trying to do what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I don't think it's easy to, or maybe not easy, but yeah, I don't think that's for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just people from Pittsburgh who do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the three rivers. The yeah, water. we do that and we say, rid up your room. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The Pittsburgh people are just like, what are you? At? Company's coming. Yeah. <laughs> um. So... Uh, so what do you have coming on now? Are you just in the work zone? Or are you like, so the what's show on the agenda? Just closed that I had here in Nashville. So, um, and I have, I have a painting right now in a group show with Sergeant's Daughters in LA. Oh, nice. And um, another piece in a group show coming up in the fall, TBA. And then uh, the next thing on the docket, I have a show in Nashville coming up next spring that I'm going to prepare for. But um, because the my like kind of large solo exhibition just closed, I'm I'm back in my drawing mode, uh, generating some new ideas, and I've, I'm looking in front of me at a lot of white surfaces uh, I've just prepared. Carte blanche, yeah. the uh, the slightly um, antagonizing blank canvas. It's like get to work. Yeah. But it's nice because you feel like this can be anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's intimidating and invigorating at the same yes, time. At the same time. That's like me art making. It's the yin. I think this this episode has been a lot about the, the yin and yang, the the mm -hmm. the balance, right? The two yeah. sides of each coin. We always have to strive for it. Exactly. Um well, thanks so much for taking the time. It was great to talk to you. And people should go, I mean, what, social media and Zeitgeist Gallery and your website? Is yeah. that the best way? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what is the, I mean, I would take us, I mean, how do you pronounce your last name? Seepker. 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 Yeah, it's a weird last name. It, you always I've never heard it, it before. Be Seeker, but it's Seepker. I'm not quite sure why I didn't just take my husband's name because it's so much better and simpler, but um, I didn't. And I don't see a lot of artists that do that. So I never, I didn't take his name, but it would have been easier. Eh, you know, keep your name. Um, wait, but it's, it is good to have a name that's different. I think, yeah. you know what I mean? Like if you Google your name, you're getting you. I'm the only one. Yeah. There's not a lot of Alfreds in the world. It's weird. Oh, really? Not a lot at all. There's a lot of Al Fords, but not a lot of Alfreds. Oh, that's great for you. I wouldn't, yeah. I, I mean, 
Brian Alfred. It sounds like it sounds like it's just been here all the time. Brian Alfred. <laughs> <It's>, it sounds <laughs> so basic. <laughs> and it is, but it's two first names, I guess, which gives it something. But yeah, no, there's not a lot of Alfreds out there, ironically. Although there is a tax firm in London called Brian Alfred, and I think it's like two guys who are Brian and Alfred. So that's weird. Mm. So you can either Google for some art or for some taxes if you're in London. <laughs> Take your pick. But uh, yeah, Seepker is a cool name. Is it? Is do you? What's your roots? Well, that is a whole deep dive of a story. Oh my gosh! All right, let's start it all over. Let's go back. <laughs> I could be on another podcast. Actually, oh, you should do that—that that show where they go to, into your roots or whatever. Those are cool. Oh man, do I have Were a story they... for you? Uh oh. What? So what happened? Oh, this would be my teaser for them. This because you know at the tail end here, but no, I'm a I'm a. So Seeker is my last name given to me, but it's not genetically related to me because I was donor conceived and found that out. So I had a whole ancestry.com oh, mystery. Oh yeah. So nice. um, that's for another podcast, but interesting, really, really interesting stories on that side of things. We'll do the follow-up. So, <laughs> but is Seepker a, it's not a common name though, right? I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think so. I don't know anyone else outside of my dad's family that had the name. Yeah. Well, it's a good one. And uh, no, there's there's probably no other Karen Siebkers, I'm guessing. Not that I know of, not that I'm aware of, but I do have some doppelgangers out there in the world. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. It was great talking. Okay. Great talking to you, too.